is pictured as the weeping prophet like Jeremiah. If you see it right there in Matthew chapter 16, right, Matthew chapter 16. All right, let's look at verse 13. Matthew 16, 13 is where I want you. I'm telling you to get there, and I'm not there myself. Matthew, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So one of the things that Jesus was mistaken for was Jeremiah. And what was the trademark of Jeremiah? We'll go to Lamentations 3. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. That was his kind of nickname because he cried over the city and he cried over his people. And we'll look at some verses later where Jesus Christ wept over Jerusalem. And that's why some people said, you remind us of Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah's writings are full of his tears. Look at Lamentations 3 verse 48. Look what he says there in the heart of the book. Mine eye runneth down with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. Mine eye trickleth down and ceaseth not without any intermission. There is Jesus Christ, the weeping prophet, like unto Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And uh, Jesus Christ, there are several passages, if you go to Lamentations 1, there are several passages uh, where that remind us of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at one, Lamentations 1, look at verse number 12. The Bible says, Is it nothing to you, all ye that pass by? Behold, and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me in the day of his fierce anger. Kind of people passing by, beholding his affliction. Doesn't that remind you of Jesus Christ? The mockers and the passers-by, Well, he was in affliction, look at Lamentations 2, look at verse 15. Another verse that reminds us of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lamentations 2, verse number 15. All that pass by clap their hands at thee. They hiss and wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? There it is again, the onlookers just hissing and mocking the misery of Jeremiah and the problems of of the city. And go to Lamentations 3. Look at verse 14. Jeremiah says, I was a derision. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. Look at verse number 19. Remembering my affliction and my misery. Look at verse 30. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. Sounds a lot like Jesus Christ, doesn't it? A derision, a mockery, a scorn, the disdain, the slap in the face, the, the cruel stares. Jeremiah felt it. Your Savior felt it. That's why Jesus Christ is a prophet like unto Jeremiah. Now, if you go back to Lamentations 2, if you would go there. There are two key messages in the book of Lamentations. They're written on your sheet there, but uh, here are the verses if you want to add to them. I don't know if I included the verses. forgot. I didn't put the verses. Lamentations 2.17. First big message from the book of Lamentations. The misery that sin brings. 
I mean, there's no new thing under the sun, right? That's not exactly a new message. But the misery that sin brings. 2.17 The Lord hath done that which he had devised. He hath fulfilled his word that he had commanded in the days of old. He hath thrown down and hath not pitied. And he hath caused thine enemy to rejoice over thee. He hath set up the horn of thine adversaries. There is the first big, there is the lament. (laughs) There is Jeremiah saying, sin has brought the Lord's judgment upon us. And that is the first big message of the book. That lament that sin only brings misery and heartache and woe. I wish that was the first time I've said that. I wish that was the first time I've had to hear that. But for some reason, we are so stunad spiritually, we need to be told this basic, basic lesson over and over and over again. Sin hurts! <laughs> and it only hurts you! It doesn't hurt God. It breaks His heart. But God doesn't become less of God because you've sinned. You don't knock Him off the throne because you've sinned. But you knock yourself around, you knock your testimony around, you knock your family around, you knock your health around, you knock your mental and emotional well-being around, because sin thrills and then it kills. Sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death, James chapter 1. The wages of sin is death, Romans chapter 6, right? Sin thrills and then it kills. And we see all that build up. Finally just breaking the dam in the book of Lamentations and all that misery and woe just flooding the people of God. Second, Lamentations 3. Second big message. And it seems complete opposite. You see the misery that sin brings, but you also see the love and the compassion of the Lord for His subjects of His wrath. That even though he's dropping the spanking of spankings on the children of Jerusalem, he's still got mercy, he's still got love, he's still got compassion, he's still got mercy. Look at Lamentations 3.22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. So, two, uh, two very different lessons but two very needful lessons to remember. Sin thrills and that it kills. And God is always merciful. God is always kind. Even when His hand is heavy upon you, His compassion is there that you're not consumed. Uh, Okay, so let's go to uh, Lamentations 1. And um, let's talk about the basic breakdown. There's only five chapters. I think it's the shortest book we've looked at. It's still going to take all night, but it's the shortest book we've looked at. But uh, every chapter has the following kind of flow to it, just so you know. Uh, it's, the, the book is written more like poetry, but you see the beginning of the chapter will talk about the ruin, the calamity, the chaos that, the, that Jerusalem finds itself in. And then the next movement of each chapter, you'll see the, 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 the writer, Jeremiah, justifying God. That everything that, he's, that everything that happened is, is justified, right? God is right in what he did to them and what he allowed to happen to them. And it will end with an appeal and a prayer, a, a calling out to this God to have mercy. So you'll see that flow in each chapter. And each chapter 
basically presents a different picture. Chapter 1, you see the city as a weeping widow. Chapter 2, the city as a veiled woman. Chapter 3, the city as a weeping prophet. Chapter 4, the city as gold. Chapter 5, the city as a beggar. So let's go through it chapter by chapter now. Let's just touch on the pictures and the important truths in each chapter. Let's start with chapter 1. Chapter 1, the city as a weeping widow mourning in solitude. 1-1, let's talk about the picture there. How doth the city sit solitary? That was full of people. How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How has she become tributary? Now the first big picture you see here is Jerusalem depicted as a weeping widow. All right, as a weeping widow. A weeping widow, what has a widow done? A widow is someone who's lost her husband. And she's alone in the night. That's a great picture for Israel. Because Jehovah's bride is the nation of Israel. Amen? That's the father's bride. The son's bride is the church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Now, go to Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. Ah, there we go. Isaiah chapter 50. Look at verse number 1. Now, in the Old Testament, God had provisions for divorce, you know. And as much as we don't want divorce, as much as God isn't thrilled with divorce, there are provisions for divorce. And it's usually, usually, the Pharisee that makes it the unpardonable sin, you know, that puts somebody on a shelf and, you know, you're anathema if you've been divorced. That's, that's not a Bible position. Right, the Bible has allowances for it. God is divorced. God the Father is divorced. He worked conditions into the Old Testament that if a woman was uh, adulterous upon him and stepping out on him, he could put her away. And God wrote that into the Old Testament. See Deuteronomy 24 for the references of that. He wrote it into the law because he knew that he would have to do that himself to his nation. Isaiah 50 verse 1, you see it? Thus saith the Lord... Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? He's talking to his nation. Whom I have put away. Right? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities have ye sold yourselves, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. The Lord divorces Israel because of her sin. Her adultery, her stepping out, folks. That's why she's put away. That's why a man could put away somebody in the Old Testament. That's why Jehovah put Israel away as a nation. Her adultery against God. Now, please notice, go back to Lamentations. And that's what she's pictured of as the in the beginning. As a weeping widow. As someone who is bereft of her husband now. Because he's divorced her. He's put away. It's like he's... To quote my mafia brethren, it's like he's dead to her, so to speak, right? Lamentations 1. Notice, please, that this is a prophetic picture here. That you're going to see things that are happening in Lamentations 1 that are happening back then, but they're also pictures of what God would do to Israel at the time of Christ when he would put her away and set her apart, right? 
um, Lamentations 1.1, it says, she's alone in the night. What is the night a picture of? What time period? The church age. And Israel is alone in the night. She's without God in the night. We've got God. Amen. We've got him. We've got, we're in the tents of Shem. We are dwelling in the spiritual blessings that were promised to Israel, right? And that's where we are. Jacob took, I'm not sorry, Isaac took that bride, Rebekah, into his mother's tent, right? Uh, Isaiah 54, the Bible talks about Israel enlarging the place of thy tent because some Gentiles were going to get into those spiritual blessings that Israel had. We've got the spirit, we don't have the physical blessings, but we got the spiritual blessings. Why? To provoke her to jealousy. Why should some Gentile dog know Exodus better than a rabbi scholar? But you know what? I do. I know Exodus better than the rabbis at the temple down the street. They can rock back and forth and put the funny things on their head and do all the stuff they do, but you with just a little Bible education, with a little salvation, with a little Holy Spirit, I say that facetiously, but you know what? You know the author. And all that stuff in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy comes to life now because you see the spiritual truths that they're going to wear a funny thing on the head because in Deuteronomy 11 it says, you know, put the word as frontlets between your eyes. You see the spiritual side of that. You and that, that, because God's writing it in your heart and tables of flesh, not of stone. Right? It all comes to life. They're, you know, you know shaking, a, uh, shaking a tree and they're going to, you know, cut a chicken on their bathtub, you know, shed some blood. You know, like Eli's mommy tells the story. You know what? You see all the spiritual truth of that. You know about the lamb that was shed. You know about all that stuff. It's come to life for you. There in the night, verse number two, look over this. She weepeth sore in the night and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all, all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. Look at verse number 7. Says it again in verse 7. Uh, verse 9, I'm sorry, 9. Um, in the middle of the verse, she had no comforter. Look at verse number 17. Zion spreadeth forth her hands, and there is none to comfort her. Look at verse number 21. We got a winner. 21. They that have heard, they have heard that I sigh, there is none to comfort me. She has no comforter. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. She doesn't have the Holy Spirit like you've got the Holy Spirit. Now he deals in people's hearts and he deals in people's minds. But the comforter is that Holy Spirit is gone. That Holy Spirit's taken away. She's given over to just that emptiness. Not you. That Holy Spirit indwells you, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 4, 2 Corinthians 1. That Holy Spirit has sealed Himself inside of you and has promised, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But you know what God says? God says, whoop, I'm out of here. And He leaves that nation and she's got no comfort. Uh, look at verse number 3. I'll go back to Lamentations 1. Look at verse number 3. You know else she doesn't have? Um, look at the end of the verse 3. She findeth no rest. See that? No rest. You know why? Because she's dwelling among the heathen, scattered, 
and she misses the promised rest. She missed it back there. She misses it again. She ain't going to miss it the third time, right? But uh, they missed it with Moses. They missed it with Jesus Christ. They'll get it when he comes again. But there's a promised rest. Hebrews 4 says there remaineth a rest for the people of God. Now, spiritually, we like to spiritualize that. But there's a literal, physical rest when that kingdom comes. And they enter into that rest. And all those enemies are put down. And they can enter into peace and rest. They lost it there. And there she is, overrun by her enemies. And she says right there in verse 3, I got no rest. I got no peace. The enemies are overrunning us. Look at verse number 6. One last thing about this. Verse 6. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture. They're sheep without a shepherd. She has no pasture because she has no shepherd leading her. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, right? right we have, what he promised them in John chapter 10, you're going to go in and out and find pasture. If I'm your shepherd, but back there they rejected God, God said you lost your pasture. In the time of Christ, the same thing happens. They reject the shepherd. They lose their pasture, right? So that's a great picture of Israel just kind of bereft of God, separated from God, put aside by God, and all the ramifications we've got. Go to chapter 2. Let's go to chapter 2 now. Chapter 2 presents the city as a veiled woman. A veiled woman. Gotta get this right. A veiled woman mourning in ruins. Right? Now, chapter 2 is a vicious chapter. Chapter 2 is a vivid description of the siege. It's an emphasis on the judgment. I'm not going to read all of it, but it is horrible. If you look at verse 20, it talks about women eating their fruit. That's not talking about that peach tree in the backyard. That's talking about getting so hungry, you'd sod your children and boil your babies. Don't ever underestimate what hunger could do to somebody. Drive you mad. Drive you to crazy things. Just the prospect. We saw it after Sandy. We saw it after COVID. Just the prospect. Those... Jesus worked in retail. He's like, amen. Right? The prospect of not having what you want to get when you want to get it drove people mad. Imagine genuine hunger. Imagine, I think it was UT Austin, I've quoted this before, did a study years and years ago, and they said two weeks, two weeks people would resort to cannibalism if they couldn't eat. You doubt it? Don't doubt it. Don't doubt it. And there it is. They're sodding their children. But look at verse 2. The Lord has swallowed up all the habitations of Jacob, and hath not pitied. He hath thrown down in his wrath the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He hath brought them down to the ground. He hath polluted the kingdom and the princes thereof. He hath cut off in his fierce anger all the horn of Israel. He hath drawn back his right hand from before the enemy, and he burned against Jacob like a flaming fire which devoureth round about. He hath bent his bow like an enemy. He stood with his right hand as an adversary, and slew all that were pleasant to the eye in the tabernacle of the daughter of Zion. He poured out his fury like fire. Watch this, very important. The Lord was as an enemy. He wasn't their enemy, but he was as an enemy. He hath swallowed up Israel. He hath swallowed up her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds, and hath increased in the daughter of Judah, Judah mourning, and there it is, lamentation. 
Folks, when God's people won't repent, the Lord becomes as an enemy to you. He's not your enemy. He doesn't want to be your enemy. The Lord would rather give you mercy than judgment. In fact, in the Old Testament, he calls judging his people a strange work. It's foreign to him. He doesn't want to judge his people. He doesn't want to inflict pain upon his people. He doesn't want to have to bring this misery and woe upon people. But God is not mocked. And whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And that principle of sowing and reaping, you cannot beat it. And God's long-suffering is amazing, amen? God's long-suffering, the Bible says, is salvation. God's law, if, if it weren't for God's long-suffering, we'd all be in hell. Because the first time I sinned, they're probably like five seconds old, I don't know, whenever I could sin. You know, God could have smitten me right down to hell right there. And you knew you were doing wrong, and you knew you were doing wrong, and you were sinning against your conscience before you knew the Bible, and you were sinning against the Bible when you knew what the Bible said. You knew that lying was wrong. You knew that lusting was wrong. You knew that all that stuff you were doing was wrong deep down, and you tried to crowd it out, and God didn't zap you. That's long-suffering. And if you go to 2 Chronicles 36, man, God, and this is the same timing as Lamentations, 2 Chronicles 36. This is the end. This is the destruction of Jerusalem. This is uh, the ransack of Nebuchadnezzar. So we're in a contemporary passage here. You know how many years God gave Israel? You know how many warnings God gave Jerusalem? You know how many times He sent His prophets? Time after time after time after Sunday after Sunday. After, no, sorry, wrong, wrong dispensation. But message after message chapter after chapter, warning after warning, counsel after counsel, how many times God reaches out, reaches out, reaches out, and it gets to a point where God says, you're not going to repent. And if you're not going to repent, then I'm going to have to judge you. And in 2 Chronicles 36, you see verse 14. It's right at the end, man. Here we are. The hammer's dropping. Moreover, all the chief of the priests... And the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen. Now, this is Israel. This is Judah. They knew better. They had the law. They had the prophets. They had the the sacrifices. They had seen the miracles. They had the tradition. Right? They had it. Now, some of us Gentile dogs, we knew bits and pieces. We had our conscience that we seared. We didn't know like they knew. They knew. Right? They had fathers that had seen things. They had the tradition handed down, the word written down, copied meticulously by those Masorites, right? Just meticulously copied down people that were supposed to be teaching it. Offices of king and priest and prophet, a whole nation set up around a, a spiritual and political entity with God in the midst. It says right there in 15. And uh, 14, and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hollowed. In Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes. You see how many? As many times be necessary, God would rise up. And sending because why? Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place place. He'd say, Early I sought you, man. Every morning I rose up, I sent those prophets to you. Sixteen. For years the Lord sent prophets to warn His people to return to Him. Elijah, Isaiah, Micah, 
Jeremiah, Micaiah. We can just go on and on. All these prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet. We'll get to them eventually. Verse 16, but they mocked the messengers of God and despised his words and misused his prophets. Prophet didn't have a great retirement plan. He usually got rocked, literally, to death. Until the wrath of the Lord arose. What a horrible, horrible verse. Until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people till there was no remedy. Therefore He brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew the young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. He gave them all into His land. You see, our unsaved, na- our, our, our lost nature likes to say, Oh, God is so mean. No, he's not. God is so merciful. The question is not, why would a good God allow suffering in the world? The question is, why would a holy God let you wake up? That's the question. That is the question. Because if God is as good and holy as he is, how could he let us take another breath? That's a miracle. And his long-suffering is his long-suffering to people that knew better and it just got to a place where you had to allow the judgment to fall. You know what we're supposed to do, folks? Don't be stupid. It just wouldn't be smart. Dean Martin said that, right? Don't be stupid. It just wouldn't be smart. You know what Paul would say in Romans 11 when talking about God judging Israel and setting them aside that Gentiles might get the gospel? He said, Behold... Therefore, the goodness, that's on you guys, and severity of God. On them which fell, severity on the goodness. You say, Gentiles, don't miss the goodness of God that fell on you. Don't forget the severity of God that fell on his own people, that he would set them aside. Look at these pages, folks, soberly and sober up and say, man, I better not trifle with sin. And when I do trifle with sin and God chastens me, I better take heed. And when God sends a message or another brother or sister in Christ to kind of say something to me, I better take heed. I better not scorn or misuse the messengers. Because when you misuse the messengers, you get to a place where there's no remedy and you're looking at a lament, a lamentation. Lamentations 3, I told you it wasn't a fun book. I mean, the title gives it away. What's it about in the book of Lamentations? Lamentations 3. I've even got my own water holder now. No need to turn. Can't make those faces at me anymore when I turned around. Lamentations 3, look at verse 1. What are some pictures now in chapter 3? Chapter 3 is the city as the weeping prophet mourning before the Lord. What's the picture? Well, in chapter 3, we see something interesting. The prophet identifies himself with his people and their affliction. You say, what's the picture? God identifies with his people when they're in trouble. The prophet identifies with his people. God identifies with his people. And in those first 20 verses of Lamentations chapter 3, it is the man of God making Jerusalem's miseries his own. Isn't that what your God did for you? Isaiah 53 calls him a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Surely he hath borne our sorrows and carried our griefs, right? 
God, I think it's in Isaiah, maybe 46 or 64, in all their afflictions, oh, let me see if I can find that. Isaiah, my dyslexia acts up, and I don't know if it's 46 or 64. Um, Maybe it's 64. Um, Yeah, try 64. Let me try 64. Isaiah 64. If I can't find it there, I'll just give up. 64. Oh, I just give up then. Yeah, I'm going to give up. I know there's a verse in there that says, In all their afflictions he was afflicted. I forget where it is. I thought it was 64, 46, but you'll forgive me. But uh, the point is, the Lord, if somebody's got like a phone on them, they could search it. I think the words are, In all their afflictions he was afflicted. You search, he was afflicted. I think it's like that. Where is that? Anybody know where that is? I find that? You all got your phones. And all their afflictions, he was afflicted. 63, ah, so close. 63. No, no, 63.9. 63.9. Yeah, 63.9. Ah, I was off by just a few verses. And all their afflictions, he was afflicted. Right? That's your God. That's your holy God who sits higher than the heavens, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Right, we see that in Lamentations 3. Right? What do we sing? He took my sins and my sorrows. He made them his very own. Wow. You know, you, we sing it, I sing it, but do we take the gravity of that in? Right. Your elected officials don't want to live where you live. That's right. That's right. They like where they, 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 they live. They go where school, where Cynthia goes to school. They, they, they're over there, right? <laughs> they, 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 like, they like D.C. They like the swamp. It's comfortable, right? They're treated like, they're treated like royalty, right? They don't get down where you live. They don't want to experience what you're experiencing. They give themselves, you're a first-time congressperson, you got almost $200,000 and a lifelong pension. <laughs> just, for, just from a dance video. I mean, that's pretty good stuff. Some of you know what that's about. But anyway, but anyway uh, I digress. So um, I'll go to Lament- Lamentations 310. Let me not get myself in trouble. A-O? Um, Lamentations 3. Now here's another interesting picture of Lamentations 310. Lamentations 310. He says there, He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and as a lion in secret places. When the Lord turned against Israel, a lion and a bear came against them. Right? Nebuchadnezzar is the one coming against them, right? He's called a lion and a bear. Hold that thought. Go to Hosea. Hosea. Go to the right a little bit. Lamentations. My daughter said, is next week Ezekiel? I said, yes, but don't think I'm going to understand it. All right? Hosea, if you're coming next week or the next time we speak and you're going to ask me about the wheels within the wheels, I'm going to send you to Carvel for a flying saucer. All right? Hosea 13, across the street. Hosea 13, verse 8. Now Hosea is about the northern tribes going into apostasy. They're going to get caught up into Assyrian captivity. And look what the Lord says to them. Hosea 8, Hosea 13, 8. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call of their heart and there will I devour them like a lion. 
the wild beast shall tear them. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. So there, when Israel, the northern kingdoms, go apostate, God said he would be a lion and a bear to them. Interesting. Go to Proverbs chapter 28. Go to Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28, verse 15. Watch it now. Watch that Bible. It does, you know, it just takes, it just takes a little diligence. It just takes a little word searching. Got so nervous, my voice cracked. 2815. As, 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 the same way as a roaring lion and a ranging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. Ooh, now we got some more light. Now a wicked ruler is likened to a lion and a bear. Let's go to Revelation chapter 13, shall we? Let's go to good old Antichrist passage. Revelation 13 verse 2 talks about the beast. That's not my stomach right now. Revelation 13 2, ready? And the beast which I saw, everybody leans in. Ooh, Revelation 13, the beast. You know, what light will you give us? Not much, but just a little bit to make you think. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. That's extremely interesting. A spotted animal that has Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all a part of it. It's got black spots like Ham. It's got white like Japheth. And it's got yellow like Shem. Very interesting, that conglomerate beast. Right? But... You just think about that another time. But that's not what I want to focus on. So he's like a leopard. The beast is a leopard. Okay. And his feet were as the feet of a bear. And his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his authority and his seat and great, uh, his seat and great, his, gave him his power and his seat and great authority. The beast moves like a bear and has a mouth like a lion. You go to Daniel 7, you start lining up those beasts. You find out that they start lining up with some things. And looks like, looks like, just for consumption, moves like a communist, moves like a bear. It's got the feet of a bear. It's got the mouth of a lion. He's going to speak English. I'll just let you know that. He's going to speak English. He's going to know. He Trust me on that one, right? Well, I'll explain it to you another time, but talks like a lion, moves like a bear. He's a leopard. He's a leopard. Hmm. That's where I'll leave it. That's where I'll leave it. Jeremiah 27. I'm going to do that. You know why I leave? That's me saying, I don't know it any. I don't know anymore. I'm just going to leave it there. And I'll make you think I'm smart because everybody's just the best guess, but there's some stuff there, man. Moves like a bear, talks like a lion. Wicked ruler is a lion as a lion and a bear. God sends someone to his apostate nation. He says, I'm going to be unto you as a lion and a bear. That was Nebuchadnezzar in Lamentations. Now, if you go to Jeremiah 27, you say, why is God saying that? Because you remember what I said weeks ago in the book of Job? God and the devil get so close sometimes. Hard to tell that work apart. Say, who sent Nebuchadnezzar to Jerusalem? God did. The devil did. 
God sent the devil. God let the dog off the leash. So God says, I'm going to be to you a lion and a bear. The wicked ruler is a lion and a bear. Because I sent that sucker to be the hammer to break you down. You see? In Jeremiah 27, the Lord speaks about Jeremiah 27. Did I send you there? You're still thinking about the bear and the lion. Lions and bears. Oh, my. 27. 27, verse 5 and 6. I have made the earth, God says, the man and the beast that are upon the ground by my great power and by my outstretched arm and have given it unto him who had seemed meat unto me. And now have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. You see that? My servant. God says, he's blowing up your spot, literally. He's serving me. He's my hammer. He's my enforcer. He's the lion and the bear that I sent to my disobedient people. So God sent Nebuchadnezzar like he's going to send and allow the Antichrist during the Great Tribulation. The picture is the same. Go to Lamentations 4. We doing okay so far? You could text me questions about the lion and the bear. I won't have any more. But run that through. David fought a lion and a bear. Very interesting. Before he, before he fought Goliath, Hmm. He fought a lion and a bear. Very, very interesting. Some of you are just nicely nodding like, I have no idea where you're going with this. I feel like I'm on El Toro, a great adventure. I'm going up and going down. I'm not sure what's very fast, but okay. Four, okay? Now in chapter four, we see the city as gold. Dimmed, changed, and, and degraded. Right? 4.1. How is the gold become dim? How is the most fine gold changed? The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. The precious sons of Zion, comparable to fine gold, how are they esteemed as earthen pitchers, the work of the hands of the potter? God's people are likened to gold that needs to be purified because the gold had lost its shine. You see, 4-2, God's people should have been gold, but they became earthen pitchers. Right? Now go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. Look at verse number 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise, and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels, and the vessel that he made of the clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter, to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, Can I not do with you as with this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Jump to verse 15. Because my people have forgotten me, they have burned incense to vanity, and they have caused them to stumble in their ways from the ancient paths, to walk in paths, and a way not cast up, to make their land desolate, 
and a perpetual hissing. Everyone that passeth but thereby shall be astonished and wag his head. I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. The potter would let his people face trouble. Why? So they could be remade. So they could be reshaped in tribulation. That's what's going on. You see the preview of it back there in Lamentations. You see the ultimate fulfillment of it in the Great Tribulation. Job said, Job 23.10, Job said, When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Job's affliction was going to purify him. Job was a picture of the 42 months of great tribulation in the, great, uh, in the 42 chapters of the book of Job. Go to Malachi chapter 3. Last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Let's look at verse 1. David said, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Right? Malachi 3. Let me get there with you. It says, Behold, I will send my messenger, that's John the Baptist, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek, that's not John the Baptist, that's Jesus Christ, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, because Jesus was the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them, as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Jesus Christ's coming would be a refining fire to purify God's people. When you melt gold, you get the impurities out of it. You burn off all that other stuff that's in it, so it's purified. Now go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Familiar passage. 1 Peter 1. I don't like this passage any more than you do. <laughs> right? Those of you might be going through something. I wish it could just be like a, a telegram. <laughs> you know? I wish the learning curve was much smoother. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. Right, amen? I wish it wasn't like it is sometimes, but that's just... Our, that's not God's fault. That's our fault. Amen. My fault. First Peter 1 Peter 1.6 Wherein, uh, we, you know, verse 6, yeah. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, doctrinally, you could take that to apply to Israel going through the tribulation. 
because they're in a season. They are, thankfully, it's only a season. Uh, to everything, there is a season. There's a time to mourn and a time to dance, Ecclesiastes 3 says. Right? And they're, they're going through a season. And that Savior is going to appear. In the tribulation, there is an appearing of Jesus Christ. They see him in the sky. Right? So there's an appearing. So doctrinally, we could say that is Israel going through the great tribulation and they, uh, they see him. There'll be an appearing, a signal that he's coming, a, a sign of his coming, right. Matthew 24. All right? uh, spiritually, though, this could be any trouble the Lord lets you go through. First Peter has that double application. Doctrinally, it could be Israel, but spiritually, it's you and I going through some refining fire that the Lord, you know, lets you go through. Uh, If need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now let's go to Lamentations 5. So that's the picture in 4. Picture in 4 is God purifying His people, getting that gold perfected. And here's our last picture. Lamentations 5. Lamentations 5 is the city as a beggar pleading with the Lord. The whole chapter is pretty much a prayer. It's pretty much a supplication to God. It starts there in verse 1. Remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. But I want to zero in on verse number 16. This is a very, 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 did I say very? Very important doctrinal moment. Lamentations 5.16. The crown is fallen from our head. Corporate, meaning Israel. Woe unto us, for we, that we, have sinned. This is the end, brethren, of the kingdom of heaven for the nation of Israel. Remember way back when I could walk, right? We started this whole study. And we talked about two kingdoms. That the Bible was a tale of a king and his kingdom. It's a story of the king and his kingdom, and there is a spiritual kingdom called the kingdom of God, and there is a literal political kingdom on earth with a capital at Jerusalem called the kingdom of heaven. And Israel in the Old Testament was promised a literal political kingdom of heaven that would be involved in armed conflict, military conquest. That was the kingdom of heaven. God's rule on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. That's what the Jewish disciples were told to pray in Matthew chapter 6. All right? I know you prayed it many a time, right? Right? You know, what do they say? You know, fruit of the loom. What is that thing? (laughs) Blessed be the fruit of the loom, right? And all that thing. You'd walk in, you'd have the little bowl. You'd wet yourself there, you'd slap it on. If you were like me, you tried to drink it because you thought, hey, if it's holy water, it could clean me up on the inside until the priest saw your mouth on the spigot one day when your mother was in confession and you were drinking it, drinking it in the back of St. Clair's. Hey, it made sense to me. If it was holy water, I should be bathing in it. I should be drinking it, injected in my veins. I mean, it's holy water. But anyway, I digress. I have no idea what I was saying. Thank you. On earth as it is in heaven, right? And you'd pray that, right? Our Father which art in heaven, blah, 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 blah. On earth as... That's not a prayer that we're praying. That was was a Jewish disciple's prayer for a Jewish economy and a Jewish nation that was waiting for a Jewish Messiah to bring in a Jewish kingdom on earth. 
that the rule of heaven would literally, physically, politically come to earth and a Messiah would reign from a throne in Jerusalem with a rod of iron, watch it now, and bring the rule of heaven to planet earth. I'm looking forward to that, but that's not the kingdom we're a part of now. Just turn on the news and you realize we are not living in the kingdom of heaven. There will not be the licentious corruption of government and people in the kingdom of heaven. You step out of line in the kingdom of heaven and the Messiah, the ruler of the kingdom of heaven, will crack you. Right? There is no reach that his arm cannot reach in that kingdom. Right? That rod of iron will take care of all those people. Right? And uh, so this verse here is an end of that literal political kingdom. They lost half. They lost most of it, right? The ten northern kingdoms were gone. They had those, you know, that Judah and Benjamin just hanging out. And then God lets that be taken away. And now the crown, you see the crown is fallen from our head. Woe unto us that we have sinned. Israel's sin had them lose the kingdom. And um, the fall of Jerusalem marks the ultimate end of the kingdom of heaven and an ushering in of the times of the Gentiles, when the Jews would be subject to Gentile dominion over them. Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and then Rome. And those kingdoms probably going to repeat. You think about it. Ah, when we get to Daniel, we'll sprinkle a little bit more in there. But, and don't forget, my dear brethren, which kingdom was in power when the Messiah showed up the first time? Don't forget which kingdom will be in power when the Messiah shows up the second time. She's laying low, that whore, but she's still alive and well, and she's just biding her time and uh, I'll just say that. 5.15. Now watch this. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance is turned into mourning. Israel's dance had been turned into mourning. What does that dance have to do with their victory over their enemies? Exodus 15, Miriam, they danced when Pharaoh was drowned. They danced when that enemy, who is a type of the Antichrist, was drowned behind them. They were dancing. Now their, their joy had been turned into mourning, and their dance, it says, their dance is, the, the dance is gone. But go to Jeremiah chapter 31. You know that dance will come back. And it ain't, it ain't jumping, it ain't shaking your hips, it's just leaping for joy. That's the dance. Jeremiah 1, look at verse 10. Jer- oh, Jeremiah 31, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 31, verse 10, sorry. Jeremiah 31 is all about the second coming of Christ. It's all about the new covenant. It's all about God reconciling with Israel when He comes again. You know what's going to happen? They're going to dance again. They're going to be like David in Psalm 30. Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing. Jeremiah 31.10, Hear the word of the Lord, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him 
and keep him as a shepherd doth his flock. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You're going to see that literally fulfilled. 11. For the Lord hath redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. You know who that is? That's your Antichrist right there. Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion. Can you picture it? Oh, can you picture it? A nation that has been wayward for thousands of years, a nation that has been hiding in the clefts of the rock of Selah Petra during the tribulation, running from the hunter, running from the fowler, running from the Antichrist and his forces. Man, you want drama? You want intrigue? You want something glorious? And then he comes and he splits the eastern sky and he comes down from Sinai and he feeds them with that bread of heaven and he cuts across the desert and comes up the king's highway and stomps those enemies like you stomp grapes. And that remnant that's left behind enters in. The joy. You think they're going to be jumping? They're going to be leaping? And you're going to be behind them? But let's just leave you out of it. Because most of the Bible is about Israel. It's going to be that little nation that suffered the pogroms, suffered the Hitlers, suffered the anti-Semitism, suffered the jokes, suffered the ovens, suffered all those things, the Stalins and the Hitlers and the Czars and all the things and all the stuff that they've been up against, the vagabonds and the ghettos they they lived in, and one day they're going to be the head again and not the tail. And they're going to walk into their kingdom. And they're going to be like those Jews on the other side of that, 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 that sea watching their enemies drowned in a different Red Sea. And like Miriam started clapping her hands and jumping up and down, God's going to turn their mourning into dancing. Read it with me now. Where did I leave off? Therefore, thou shalt, therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd. And their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, both young men and old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and make them rejoice from their sorrow. When Jesus Christ comes again, Israel, that remnant that holds on, will dance again. Amen, amen. Wow. I'm getting like get goosebumps just thinking about it. Because you're going to see it happen. You're going to see a fulfillment of something nobody thought possible. Nobody still thinks possible. They didn't think Israel becoming a nation was possible. But May 15, 1948, they were recognized as a nation. We just passed the little, their little birthday. Was it Monday, May 15, 1948? Right? And man, one day it's all going to come true. So let's go to Micah chapter 7. I got two verses left. Micah 7 and Lamentations 3. I want to give you one big idea from the book of Lamentations, then we'll go home because I'm hungry. Right? Micah chapter 7. Jonah, Micah. Told you I could stretch five chapters. <laughs> 
Josh one time was like, what are you going to do when you get to like 2 John? I said, first, I hope I never get to 2 John. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Second, I can stretch it. Don't worry. But if it's short, it's short. Nobody complains if it's short. Right? Micah 7. Here is the big idea. One big idea from the book of Lamentations. The Lord takes no delight in chastening His people. That's it. The Lord takes no delight chasing in His people. A good mom, a good dad, if he or she chastens their child the biblical way, right, where there is some physical pain inflicted to kind of, in a certain spot, you know, you apply the board of education perhaps to the seat of learning. I guess I got to use that once. Um, My kids are giving me a look like... The rod, yeah, the rod. Remember the rod. You know what? God designed it that way. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But you know what? A good mom or dad has no pleasure in that. They don't enjoy that. Only a sadistic, maniacal, vicious, nasty person would enjoy that. Now you might think, when you were the recipient of such a education that mom or dad was so mean and mom or dad hated you, hate me so much. Well, the opposite is true. It was done out of love. And if there was a way to not to do it, you would not do it, but you have to follow God and do what God says and that's what teaches you something. Micah 7, 18. <clears throat> Who is it? Now, Micah is a contemporary of Isaiah. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. The Lord delights in mercy. The Lord would much rather give you less than you deserve. The Lord would much rather take it easy on you. He would much rather bless you than curse you help you than hurt you. You say, why? Because He's good. Amen? Because He's good. Because He's good, because He's good, because He's good. Ezekiel 33, 11, you don't have to turn there. He even says about the wicked, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? He's not sadistic. Uh, Watch him burn. No! Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It was never meant for you. Amen. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not willing that any should perish. John Calvin, I hope you get that one day. That any should perish. The Calvinist and the Reformed brother would purport that God has preordained some for the, for the oven. And there's nothing that could change the sovereign hand of God. That is the dumbest, unbiblical twisted and perverted thing I've ever heard. All masqueraded in a nice little package called piety. But it's wicked. And it's devilish. And it's right out of the pit of hell. Our God delights in mercy. From everlasting to everlasting is His mercy. He's a merciful God. Now go to Lamentations 3 and that's where we're going to end. And can I show you that the heart of Lamentations illustrates God's heart toward us despite His chastening hand. 
The book is laid out perfectly. Lamentations 3 is the center chapter, right? Ready? It's, just, it's the middle chapter, right? There's five chapters, right? Right, 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 right? Uh, the center chapter is chapter 3. What's the center chapter? It's a man weeping for his people. That's how God feels about his people. Remember Luke chapter 19. Have you not read of Jesus Christ, the weeping prophet like Jeremiah, when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it? He wept over Jerusalem like Jeremiah wept over Jerusalem. The middle chapter of your book is a man weeping over Jerusalem. That's God's heart. But it gets better. You want the center verse of the whole book? It's Lamentations 3.33. That is the center verse of the entire book. And it says, He doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. The center verse is God telling us in the midst of all their sorrow and all their judgment and all the chastening hand, I am not doing this willingly. I am not doing this capriciously. I am not doing this because I love seeing you suffer. I'm doing this because of your sin and your unwillingness to repent. And he just reminds us in verses 34, 35, and 36 that he doesn't want to destroy us. To crush under his feet all the prisoners of the earth. To turn aside the right of a man before the face of the Most High. To subvert a man in his cause. The Lord approveth not. You watch those uh, messages, right? We're going to get bumped. Starting this summer, we're going to start getting bombarded by messages, right, for presidential campaigns. And what's going to come at the end? Hi, I'm Joe Biden, and where's the ice cream? No, hi, I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. Or hi, I'm Donald Trump, and I approve, you know, my hair's orange, right? I approve this, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is, right? They're going to always say at the end of the message, I approve this message, right? You know what God says right here? I don't approve those messages, I'm not about crushing you. I'm not about busting you. I'm not about trying to drag you underfoot and, and just bury you so deep. That's not my message. I didn't afflict you willingly. And we've got to remember, I take no delight in chastening you, but sometimes I have to. And that's the heart of Lamentations. That's the heart of the book. And that's the heart of your God. And that's something you and I have to hold on to when His chastening hand falls upon us or someone else that God is still a merciful Father for whom He loveth, He chasteneth, even every son. That's for the nation of Israel, and that's for you. The ones He loves are the ones He chastens. As many as I love, Revelation, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Amen? Amen. Thanks for tuning in and listening today. Let's, Let's